0: following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. All right, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ruth, chapter 3. We're going to finish the chapter today, so that means verses 11 through 18. Let me just give you a little bit of an idea of where we're at. So uh, we got Elimelech taking his family to Moab, him and the sons die, Ruth and Naomi come back, I'm doing the real fast version, and uh, she's gleaning in the fields of Boaz. That goes really well, gets to the point where Naomi says to Ruth, that's our kinsman redeemer, he's a close relative, you should go talk to him about exercising that responsibility of a kinsman redeemer. So last week we read that uh, Boaz was sleeping at the heap of grain, and uh, Ruth snuck up and uncovered his feet. Things got weird, at least for us. It wasn't really as much for them, but things got weird. We, we took time last week to really explain what was going on there, and, and basically Ruth did. She came and she made known to Boaz. She would like him to walk in that responsibility as a kinsman redeemer towards her. So we're going to read his response this week, okay, and see what the Lord has for us out of that. All right, so let's read uh, chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remember that law of the kinsman redeemer, it would start with, if, if a man died and left a widow with no sons, his brother could marry her and raise raise up sons so that his name and his inheritance could continue. If there's no brother, then you kind of keep moving in terms of familial closeness, right? So what Boaz is saying is there's, there's you know, maybe I'm a second cousin, there's a first cousin here that, that is gonna, we're going to have to deal with, okay? So that's just to explain that. And if you're totally lost because this is your first sermon in the Ruth series with us, go back and listen to the rest. We've taken a lot of time to explain that, okay? I don't, wanna, I don't have time for that today. Amen. There's a relative closer than I remain this night. And when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Uh, that's not because something inappropriate happened. It's very clear. Nothing did. Uh, this probably has to do with Boaz taking the responsibility of the Goel here, he wants to go talk to this guy, which we'll see happen in the next chapter, uh, the the closer redeemer. So he doesn't want him to get word from someone else. Boaz wants to be the one to grab this bull by the horns, okay? Um, Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Gentlemen looking to find a wife. Did you hear that? It's a good little nugget of wisdom right there for you. Be nice to the potential mother-in-law. That's going to help. A lot. Okay? Amen. <laughs> then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Praise God for his word. Now, aside from this kind of moving us along in the narrative and seeing how this story is unfolding, we get a strong glimpse here at what I'm going to propose to you is is an often overlooked theme in the scriptures. I wouldn't call it a, a mega theme in the scriptures, but it's a consistent theme. It's something worth looking into, and that theme is biblical integrity. Biblical integrity. What does that mean, Pastor Mintz? I'm glad you asked. One commentator laid the idea out this way. The biblical virtue of integrity points to a consistency between what is inside and outside, between belief and behavior, our words and our ways, our attitudes and our actions, our values and our practice. And why am I saying that we get a strong glimpse here of this idea of biblical integrity? Well, the first verse we read was Boaz speaking, and he says, I'm going to do for you all that you're asking, and why does he say it? We talked about this a little bit last week. Did he say it's because, Ruth, you fine girl? No. He said, everyone in the city knows you're a woman of excellence. What does that mean about the reputation of Ruth, and what... What is that? How do you get that kind of reputation? So that's the first verse. The last verse we read is Naomi speaking about Boaz. And what does she say to Ruth, who is probably a little bit nervous at this moment because she's just, in, in one way, almost broke standard tradition by proposing to Boaz, hey, be my kinsman redeemer, right? And now she's aware that maybe Maybe Ruth and Naomi weren't aware, but Boaz was, which means maybe he was already kind of thinking about this. We don't know for sure, but kind of seems like it. There's another kinsman redeemer in the way. And if he decides by law to exercise that right, then he could, once Boaz brings it up. So she could be a little nervous here, but what does Naomi say about Boaz? Don't worry. This man is going to make sure he's going to do all that he said he's going to do. He's going to handle this, and it'll be today. So what we see is something of the character and integrity coming through of both Ruth and Boaz. And I believe that this characteristic in both Ruth and Boaz was a big part of what made them solid candidates to be used as an integral part of God's big plan of redemption. And we're going to explore even more in the coming weeks how that's the case. Some of you have read this book, and you've, you, kinda, you already know the end, um, and I'm excited to get there, as I've said many times, but I think it's, we see this character, we see this integrity in them, and that's part of what made them good candidates for God to use them in this way. But since we see this so prominently displayed here, since we see this as it kind of jumps out at us about these two... I want us to take some time to unpack and understand this godly virtue together. So we're gonna we're gonna move into a focus on the idea of, of biblical integrity. And and I want to say this <clears throat> for the sake of time for one thing, but also so that we can we can cover more at at a broad principle base. I, I want I'm going to try to leave a lot of the the application to you okay so i 'm going to apply it in some ways and, and a lot of the way the application will come out in the examples we 're going to see in scripture it will have to do with it'll have to do with how we stand in front of the world as it pertains to the the, the message of the gospel as it pertains to uh, us speaking about the truth of god in, in, in difficult situations and all of that. that a lot of times in the scriptures that 's kind of how it it plays out, but this, it goes way wider than that. This idea of integrity, it reaches every corner of your life. And so I'm trusting you to be able to take the broad principles that I'm going to give you and, and really take it and, and think about all the ways that it applies. Can you, will you take that homework? Okay. I, I, I know you guys are good thinkers and I know you care about how these broad principles kind of, they reach deep into every part of what you're dealing with. So the first principle I want to give you as we unpack the idea of biblical integrity is that biblical integrity is doing what is right when it is unpopular. Biblical integrity is doing what is right when it is unpopular. The first example I want to give you of that is, it comes from the book of Isaiah. And so let me read you this. I'm starting, I'm in Isaiah 6, I'm going to start in in verse 8. Okay, this is a fairly famous set of scriptures. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, this is Isaiah, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on listening but do not understand. And keep on looking but do not gain knowledge. Make the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes blind, so that they will not see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. And then I said, Lord, how long? That's a, that's a tough message to go and take, isn't it? The unpopular message, right? How long do I give this unpopular, difficult message, Lord? Until cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has completely removed people. And there are many forsaken places in the midst of the land. God goes on to say there will be a remnant, however. There will be a few that hear and listen. So what we see here, though, is that God called Isaiah to go preach to his people this message, knowing full well the vast majority of them were not going to listen. How long are they not going to listen? They're not going to listen at all. Keep telling them what I told you to tell them. That's a rough assignment. And, And it would lead us to this idea, why... Why would Isaiah or any of us consider doing that? Why? Well, <laughs> because a biblical way to summarize doing what is right, right? And this first principle is that biblical integrity is doing what is right, even when it's unpopular. A biblical way to summarize that idea of doing what is right is to do what God asks of us. For the Christian, doing what is right is doing what God Asks of us. And that can be in the way of the positive of, of going and doing things or refraining from other things, right? And, and here's the thing in the verses right before what we just read, Isaiah had a potent opportunity to lay down the common human idol of self determination. Let me read you the verses. So I, I read you, you know, Lord said, Who's going to go for us? Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. What Why did he have that attitude? And why did he go on to obey this incredibly difficult assignment to go and speak this truth that the Lord had given him when it was going to be exceedingly unpopular in perpetuity? Why? What what would lead to that? This is what would lead to that. This is verse 1, same chapter. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. "'Seraphim were standing above him, "'each having six wings, "'with two each covered his face, "'and with two each covered his feet, "'and with two each flew. "'And one called out to another and said, "'Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. "'The whole earth is full of his glory. "'And the foundations of the thresholds "'trembled at the voice of him who called out "'while the temple was filling with smoke. "'And then I said,' woe to me for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of armies and then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand which he had taken from the altar with tongs he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and atonement is made for your sin Isaiah had an opportunity to lay down the human idol of self-determination. What happened? He got a glimpse of the glory in the presence of God. And there's one answer after that. Here I am. Send me. And then whatever the Lord says after that is not a problem. It's not just Isaiah that gives us an example of somebody with the biblical integrity, the character, to do what is right, even when it's unpopular. We could, there's so many examples. We could, we could spend all day just on this, but my mind goes quickly to the apostles, especially as we read through the book of Acts. We see them being drugged before the Sanhedrin, drugged before religious leaders, beaten and flogged and warned, Quit preaching about Jesus. Quit saying he rose from the dead. Quit stirring up these crowds. Quit quit going against what we have taught. And them having answers like, hey man, do whatever you're going to do, but we have to obey God more than men. They had it a little better than Isaiah. Lots of people actually were, were listening. They were hearing the message of the gospel. They were hearing the good news about Jesus in their are hearts were being softened, but it wasn't the majority. Don't get it wrong. And we know from church tradition that all of them kept doing that. All of them kept doing what they'd been warned not to do. They kept doing what was largely unpopular. What the authorities at the time told them, you need to stop doing. They kept on going, and it led each one of them to a martyr's death. Save John, who was boiled in oil that just didn't kill him. The tough old bird, man. <laughs> Come on. Amen. A big part of biblical integrity is being willing to do what is right, even when it's unpopular. The second thing I want to give you, and there's, there's overlap here, of course, but biblical integrity is doing what is right, even when it will cost you. So not just when it's unpopular, but you know... It's going to cost you. Again, examples abound throughout the scriptures. My mind goes maybe in in this, when I narrow it down to this particular idea, I think of Daniel. I think of Daniel who was serving King Darius, who rose to prominence among all of his advisors because of the blessing of God on him. He was wise. He understood things that other people didn't. And so he rose in prominence, was set as a leader among those advisors, and those other advisors didn't like it. So they hatched a plan. They convinced King Darius to make a law, knowing it would affect Daniel in particular. To make a law that only the the whole kingdom, the only person they could pray to was to the king. And they knew if they went in and they stroked him the right way, talked about how excellent and worthy he was of this kind of law being in place, that he wouldn't think about the implications His his chin would raise and his chest would puff out a little bit and they could probably get this done. And it happened. King Darius made the decree. That put Daniel, who was consistent in his prayer life, the Bible says he would go close a door three times a day and he would pray to the Lord God. These guys knew that. They were setting him up. The whole thing was a setup. So the law is decreed. Daniel's put in a position. Do I do what is right? Even though I know it's going to cost me, Or do I capitulate to this? Do I justify doing something different? It'd be easy to do, wouldn't it? Can we be honest about how easy it would be to try to justify your way out of that? Oh, well, you know, it's the law of the land, I guess. Right? Just for some of you that are confused about how that works, the Bible does say we should obey the laws of the land. But it's very clear that we do that up and into the point that the law of the land contradicts the law of God. We can't go any farther than that, okay? And some of us need to continue thinking about where that line actually exists. Say amen, because you know it's true, <laughs> okay? All right? Some of you put that line way too early, right? And some of you probably have it too late. We need God's wisdom and the help of his Holy Spirit in our time and day to figure out where that's at. Amen. Amen. God often puts us in positions where we're going to need his up-to-the-minute guidance and help to figure things out, right? I said biblical integrity is not a mega-theme of the Scriptures. Here's one mega-theme. You need God, <laughs> right? Yeah, Genesis to Revelation, baby. That's one for sure. Put in the mega-theme bucket. Amen. So what does Daniel do? He, can, he, he does what he always did. He does what is right, even though... He knew it would cost him. King Darius, the, the advisors run to him. King Darius, didn't you make a law that says only you can be prayed to? Yeah, I did. Daniel, man, the king, he, right then he immediately realizes what's going on. But when you're the king, man, you can't have egg on your face. You can't go back and change what you did without a real good cause. So Daniel's hauled to the lion's den and thrown in. This was a, a form of torturous punishment, obviously. But even as he's throwing him in, King Darius, is, he's hopeful. Like, may the God that you serve protect you. The Bible says King Darius goes back to the palace, doesn't sleep at all that night, runs out at first light, looks down in the hole. Daniel, did your God protect you? Yep. I'm down here. <laughs> yes, he did. And it's the, what happens next is so beautiful. It's, it's, one, it's one of my favorite parts of Scripture because Darius has him hauled up out of the hole All the guys that hatched the plan get thrown in the hole. And it wasn't because the lions were tame, man, because the Bible says before those guys hit the ground, those lions were on them. And then Darius says, here's what's going to happen as a result of all this that just went down. Obviously, there's something to this God of Daniel, so we're all going to pray to him now. That's the new law. Amen. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Hallelujah. Daniel did what was right, even though he knew it would cost him. And here's what I want you to see. That story is awesome, but it leads us to this idea, and I, don't, I want to make sure we, we balance it. Sometimes, sometimes the Lord delivers us out of the difficulties that walking in integrity can create. I'm calling you today to biblical integrity, and I'm trying to lay out for you in broad principle terms what that looks like. But I also want to be real honest about the reality that walking in biblical integrity in a world that is broken and cursed and, and full of sin is oftentimes going to create difficulty for you. It will not be the path of least resistance in many cases. And we see from the story of Daniel, we see from the story of uh Rashak, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That sometimes the Lord will deliver you out of the difficulties that walking in biblical integrity creates. But I need to also say to us, to be fully honest and, and disclose everything here, sometimes he just walks with you through that difficulty. He doesn't deliver you out of that difficulty. I call your attention back to the apostles who died martyrs' deaths. I would call your attention back just a step to Jesus on the cross to kind of highlight that principle. Sometimes obedience to God means we will have difficulty. But here's what you can for sure take all the way to the bank. Either he will deliver you out of it or he will walk with you through it. And in either case, he'll never abandon you. And he knows which of those will lead to the most joy for you ultimately and the most glory for him. Amen. The most glory for him. Why would I sign up for difficulties like you're talking about? For God's glory. What? Well, we got to go back to what happened with Isaiah. And I would ask you, have you had any moment like that? And I'm not saying you're going to walk into an ancient temple and see the the robe of the Lord, the train of the Lord fill the thing and there would be smoke and seraphim. But there is something to this reality that the Bible, the Bible, and it's going to make some of you nervous. That's, That's okay. I like making you nervous. Some of, some of us have experience in traditions, I wish I would have thought of a different word because now I'm going to use the same word again really close to the other. Oh well. We have an experience from traditions where experience is held at a very high value, maybe too much. But I think sometimes that causes certain folks to overcorrect and think that anything in the realm of experience as it pertains to our walk with God is, 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 is a bad thing or is maybe, it's always just emotions. Well, that's not the case, man. The Bible doesn't say, well, just read and hear that the Lord is good. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's sensory language throughout the scripture that would lead us to the idea that God doesn't want you just to intellectually ascend to the ideas presented in the scriptures. He wants to commune with you. He wants you to experience the reality of his presence. And that's what I was alluding to at the, at the beginning of the service. I, I don't know what everyone else experienced here. God's doing different stuff with different people all the time. But as I stood here and I sang those songs this morning, I felt the tangible manifest presence of God. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'll never apologize for it. Amen. And I'm saying for you, I know, I know some of you, or having to stretch with your imagination maybe to even conceptualize what I'm talking about. And, and so what in saying that, what I'm saying is, if, if, if that's yet to be something you have experienced, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you to ask the Lord to help you with that. To, eat, to remove whatever barriers might be in you that would stand in the way of you tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Of you experiencing the beauty of His We have God, listen, God dwells in us. If you're a believer, God is with you, right? We don't don't need to ask God to to come bring his presence. His presence is always here. The problem is our perception. We We don't need to get God to come to our gatherings. If we got a believer in here, one, God is here. Amen. Because we're the New Testament temple of the Holy Spirit. The veil was torn when Christ breathed his last. God's plan all along wasn't just that God would, would be with us, but that he would dwell in us. So the issue is not that we need God to do something more. He's done all that needs to be done. But it's often our senses that are dull. It's often the way we think about it. It's often we put, we put walls up to the, the, the beauty of what God wants to do in communing with us. And if that's been true for you so far, I just... <clears throat> I, I'm not trying to get on you, I promise. I just, it's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's, like I've, it's like I've tasted cherry pie. I don't know, cherry pie is good. I was reaching for an example, and I asked Natalie to make me one recently, and she did. So, amen. It was really good, FYI. Um, it's like I've, taste, I've tasted cherry pie, man, I just, and if you never have, I just want, I just want you to taste it. And don't get hung up if you don't like cherry pie. I don't trust you if you don't like cherry pie, but that's besides the point. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what we're talking about. <laughs> me, for those of you that take me literally, th- listen, that was a joke, okay? I love you, and I trust you just fine, even if you don't like cherry pie, but I, sometimes I feel like I need to do that. Um, I'm just saying, man, I want, I want, you, to, I want you to taste it. Because <laughs> it's Third point, biblical integrity is doing what is right when no one is looking. This gets, yeah, yep, I thought you'd like that. Some of you, some of you squirmed a little bit in your seat. <laughs> where, where, do we, where do we look for a solid biblical example of this? Again, anywhere almost, throw a rock at the Bible, you could you could hit a spot, but... For me, Joseph came to mind. Let me read you this is an excerpt you know so Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit, pulled up, sold into slavery into Egypt, ends up serving in the house of Potiphar, an Egyptian official, okay and uh, that's where the context of this is. So let me read this to you i'm in genesis thirty nine Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, okay this is this He's an ancient Abercrombie and Fitch model, okay, if you're trying to imagine it, right? Joseph's handsome in form and appearance, and it came about after these events that his master's wife, so Potiphar's wife, had her eyes on Joseph, and she said, Sleep with me. <clears throat> That's direct. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, Look with me here. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he's put me in charge of all that he owns. There's no one greater in this house than I and he's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And this is the key. This is, this is the rest of Joseph's answer. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And sin against God. Joseph didn't go into this idea of, no, we can't do that. What if we get caught? Joseph was thinking way deeper than that, way beyond that. The temptation was, was smaller because relevant to Joseph in all that he was doing or not doing was this idea that for him to sin was not just to sin against his earthly master, Potiphar, what was the sin against God? And that meant it didn't matter if someone walked in on them in this deed or not. It didn't matter who saw or didn't see. That's biblical integrity. Who you think is looking or not looking is irrelevant. It's not about whether you can get away with it or not. It's a scary question for us to get honest about, isn't it? What would I do if I knew no one would ever know? You might want to be in your your special prayer spot when you ask that question and leave yourself some time with the Lord to deal with all that. Amen? So biblical integrity is, is doing what is right when no one is looking. But we also have to remember that people are often looking when we don't think they are. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, A righteous person who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. I want to particularly speak to those of you who have been afforded the great privilege and honor of raising children. You've got eyes on you. You've got ears on you. Oftentimes when you don't think you do. Which ratchets up the importance of living one way in all environments. Even when you're around the corner, where you don't think anybody sees, and it's not just children. It's not just children. People at your work. You you are. You know, if if you have Gene Gray the X Man's power, if you're telekinetic and, and telepathic, so you can tell who all can always hear you at all times, come see me because I've got questions about how that works. And, you know, I'm just interested because that's cool. I I have the microphone, so I'm just going to say I think she's the most powerful X-Man and would whoop all the rest of them, so. Thank you. There's another wise man in here who understands superpowers. Praise the Lord. What superpower would you have, Pastor Vince? Gene Gray, the X-Man. There you go. What about Superman? Man, if I can whoop him with my mind, why does it matter? And I'll know when he gets scared, right at the moment. I got him. It's big brain stuff right there. We're going to have a superpower meeting after this, after this meeting. I want to hear all, your, all you people, flight, invisibility, you nerds. You haven't thought about it long enough, I'm just telling you. I just solved the debate for you. I'm going to get jumped after this service. There's some people who really care about their superhero stuff, hey. Hey, security team, I need you on me at the end of this service, man. Get me out of (laughs) here. Secret service type stuff. Amen. It's not just children, though. It's not just children. And you, listen to me, man. Biblical integrity about doing what's right, regardless of who's looking or who you think's looking. It could be the same everywhere. Just speak the same everywhere. Now, many of you know, I, I see this play out sometimes because of my position in the body of Christ, okay? And, and a lot of you know this about me, that sometimes I'm a little bit of a stinker. A little bit, right? And, and I sometimes on purpose, man, when I meet people, I wait to tell them I'm a pastor because a lot of people speak and act differently once they find out. I get a better look at who they really are by waiting, right? I know there's some guys that really, you know, they got a, it's like they got a name badge on that says, I'm a pastor, respect me. I'm cool, I'll wait. I'll wait as long as possible because I'm gonna get a look at you that I might not get once you know. It's not true for everybody, but oftentimes it is. People that... Claim to follow Christ and not. Like, ooh, this guy's sneaky. A little bit, sometimes. And let me, let me be clear about this. I don't mind somebody changing their speech patterns out of respect for the position that God has called me to serve in his church. A lot of you know I work on job sites and stuff around kind of roughneck, blue-collar folks. And, and there's many of them that they don't even love Jesus. Don't, they don't serve him yet. But when I'm on the job, they, they change the way they talk. And I'm okay with that out of respect. I appreciate that. I don't make them do it. I don't ask them to do it. But if they do it out of conviction, that's fine. I'm happy to clean up the language on the job site by being there. You know? Amen. But what, I'm, what concerns me more is when people project a, a, a different person altogether. Once they find out that I'm a pastor, right? That's what concerns me. Con- concerns me for them. Because biblical integrity is a lot about consistency. Okay? And I believe the same thing about biblical integrity, I believe about all the things that God has called us to, that, that ultimately it's for our good. Right? God never asks us to do things or not do things unless that's going to lead us to away from pain and towards joy. That again, I'm I'm saying away from pain. It doesn't mean walking in biblical integrity won't lead us towards difficulty. But again, God is either with us or will deliver us from it. Biblical integrity is a lot about consistency, being the same person, regardless of who you're around and what environment you're in. And there's some... I'm gonna leave it up to you to work on some application about that for your own life, okay? But you should be the same person wherever you are. Now, I want to flip this coin real quick, so I don't let some of you walk out of here with big jumbo heads bobbing around. Okay, because I've, I've, I've I'm folk because the text has led us here. I'm, I'm focusing on one side of this coin, but let me, let me just flip it over real quick and, and needle some of y'all's heads that have been puffing up this entire sermon so far. Because some of you feel like you do a pretty good job at this, probably. Um, and some of you, you you've bought into this idea that, that being real and authentic uh, is somehow a, a pass for being disobedient to the Lord. Oh, hey, somebody knows what I'm talking about. So let, let me just say it's not. Okay? If real and authentic for you is disobedient to the Lord, you need to be convicted and, and change and be obedient to the Lord. Inta- biblical integrity in that case is not well, this is me, just take me how you get me. Right? If you really love me, just take me as I am. No, if I really love you, I'm, I'm going to do the hard work of continually pushing you towards Christ-likeness. absolutely what love looks like. What do you mean? But the, the, the world has really, really jumped on this pony and is riding it hard. This idea that just you being the authentic you. Some of you have no problem with anything I've said thus far because that's kind of the attitude you've taken. Yeah, this is me. I'm me. I'm the same everywhere. I'm gonna do me. Okay. (laughs) Biblical integrity is not about you just doing whatever you want to do or deciding that you're just going to be however you're going to be. It's looking to Christ and his example, it's looking to the examples we have throughout the scriptures and joining God in that great goal of being conformed into Christ's image. And that, that idea is going to help us in a minute as well, okay? Now, some of you might be saying, okay, I've, I've heard these three points, I've heard the other side of the coin, and, and here's, here's where I'm at right in this moment, if I can be honest. Integrity sounds hard. Biblical integrity sounds difficult. Like, how can I ever really... Walk in it. And and what I'm going to encourage you towards is is this idea. If that's where you're at, then then I've done at least a halfway decent job teaching you the Bible today. Because what the truth of the word should always do is lead us to the reality that we can't do this on our own. Remember that mega theme I said earlier that's in the scriptures that you need God? Yes. And so if that's you realizing, man, this... Consistency like that all the time. Biblical integrity, man, that's a big call. I'm I'm hoping you end up today realizing your need for the grace and the empowerment of God by his Holy Spirit to do any of this. And you'll ask him for it. Because when we ask him for things like that, it's his delight to help us. He's made that really clear. Amen? And some of you thus far you, I, I could see, I could anticipate that some of you, this sermon, it, it's, it's a little bit different track than the norm. And you might say, man, I'm thinking about everything you're saying, man, about biblical integrity. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, it kind of sounds like legalism, man. I, I, like, I like when you preach about grace and, and gospel stuff better. I like that better. This sounds getting, getting too close into like dealing with my behavior and my actions, man. Let's go back to the heart. Well, the Bible makes clear in a whole lot of ways that your actions show what's going on in your heart. That's what all that fruit of the tree stuff's about. You know, hello. But if you're thinking this sounds like legalism and you like the gospel stuff better, let me just say this to you, dear friend, and I'm not trying to be sassy. This is gospel stuff. This is gospel stuff. Absolutely, this is gospel stuff because the gospel isn't just about Avoiding eternal punishment the gospel isn't just fire insurance, it's pitiful when people have preached it that way and people have believed it that way. What is god's goal in the gospel The, the summary we use here oftentimes, yes, is this what is god 's goal in the gospel it's us and him forever absolutely that is that is. The, the, the big, broadest goal, but what about here and now? Does the gospel have any, any application for the here and now? Well, of course it does. Of course it does. And, and, and the Bible tells us plainly what that looks like. In Romans eight 29, we're told that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of God. That's a, that's a goal that is reached for each of us as we cross into eternity and we res- that, that final step in our sanctification, which is glorification, where all of, of our tendencies towards sin and rebellion are, are finally vanquished, that, it, that's, it's, that's, that's the final goal. But up and until then, there's a process. It's called sanctification and it's something God cares about here and now. And biblical integrity is a huge part of how that works. The hope is We pray it here all the time. We say it all the time. We'll leave here today more like Jesus than we came in. And that's going to continue for as many days as God grants us breath. Jesus doesn't just save us from sin and death. He doesn't just save us from sin and death, but to life and a holy mission. Got to remember that. That's why this isn't legalism. This is gospel stuff. Talking about biblical integrity and getting into your business today and messing around. Kicking over your sandcastles. I know. <laughs> I get it, man. <laughs> it's gospel stuff. Part of how we spread the gospel is by reflecting God's good and loving character into the world. And integrity at its deepest root is a love issue. It's the fruit of a heart. What am I saying? Biblical integrity is the fruit of a heart overcome with love for God and love for people. Overcome with love for God and love for people. And it's the fruit of a heart that has an ever diminishing amount of love for self in the form of pride and self-preservation. I know that was kind of long and wordy, but if you can encapsulate that idea and apply it here, I promise you it's important. Help us see it right. And you might say, okay, man, when you're making big statements here, are you going to back them up? You know I will. How does integrity reflect the character of God? That's a big statement. How does biblical integrity on our part reflect the character of God? Is that, I mean, that sounds good, but where are you getting that from? Well, friends, I want us to think about it. If we're talking about consistency, Biblical integrity being about consistency, being about what does the scripture say about God, that he's the same yesterday, today, and and forever, right? I'm going to propose to you that God has kept every promise he's ever made. That if we're looking for, if we're struggling to understand biblical integrity and, and you forget everything else I said today, just remember this, look to God. Look to God. Look to Christ. Because God's kept every promise he's ever made. And, and part of what I want to show you is, is the reality of that, that when God has made promises, that many, if not all of them, are fulfilled in Christ. It's an important way for you to read your Bible that way and understand it that way. What are you talking about? In Luke 24, this is after the resurrection, there's some guys walking along the road. Jesus joins them. They don't know who it is right off the rip. But what he ends up doing is they're telling him about everything that's happened because you know they're kind of sad. And Jesus's like, "Well, what's up, guys?" And they're like, "Well, you know, Jesus got killed. It's a bummer." I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> and 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 and, and the, then Jesus he preaches he preaches the sermon of all. It's it's the one that. If, if there's classes in heaven, I know I joke about this, I think there might be, I'm, I'm, I'm signing up for this one because he preaches a sermon. It says he explained to them the things written about himself in all of the scriptures. So if this is right after the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus is referencing the scriptures, what's he talking about? Love City. The Hebrew Bible, right? The Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't put together yet, right? So Jesus, his answer to What they're talking about is, let me go through the Old Testament. Let me show you that it's actually about me. So much of what God has promised was about Christ, is fulfilled in Christ. And I'm talking about the fact that God keeps his promises. Okay? Because God keeping his promises and being consistent is part of how us walking in biblical integrity reflects his good and loving character to the world. Right? That's part of what irritates me so much. When high-profile so-called pastors and preachers are supposed to be representing God, end up showing they have zero biblical integrity, because that preaches something to the world as well. And then we have to go out and we got to jump over that hurdle before we can even get to this good stuff. Sometimes I don't. I don't want that to be the case for us, <laughs> with God's help. But what was Jesus talk? What did Jesus talk to them about? Well, I mean, I don't. There's so much more, but let's just look at some of it. Because I don't want to just throw that idea at you. Let's take just a second. It ain't going to be just a second. But let's take a couple minutes. (laughs) What What are all these promises fulfilled in Christ that God has kept with perfect integrity? What are they? Well, you can start all the way back at Genesis 3. When God told Adam and Eve, there was a seed of the woman that was going to come and crush the head of that serpent. That was fulfilled in Jesus. Then you can go to Genesis 9, where God promised He would never flood the world again in judgment. And what sign did He give, love city, that He would never do that again? It was a rainbow. Now, I want you to take your finger and draw the shape of a rainbow, because I want to make sure all of you know what it looks like. Like this, right? Okay. That bow is shaped. Now, think of that bow not like a pretty bow of colors, but think of it like a war bow. Which way is it pointing? Up. God was promising in that rainbow not just that he wasn't going to flood the earth again, but that the next time judgment was going to be dealt out, it wasn't us that was going to take the hit. It was him. Genesis 18, was that fulfilled in Jesus? Was that promise kept? Come on, you better believe it. I know I just messed some of you up. I don't know. How many more does he got? I don't know if I can take any more. We ain't even got started yet. Genesis 18, go there. God said through Abraham's seed, all of the, through a seed. He didn't say seeds, through a seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Did that come true in Christ? Was that promise kept in Christ? You better believe it was. Genesis 22, Abraham marches Isaac up the hill, gets to the point of raising the knife to sacrifice him, and then a ram is provided, caught in the thicket. A ram is provided that it can be sacrificed so that Isaac can go free after he carried a bunch of wood up the hill on his back. That's a forward-looking promise that we're going to be set free in the same way because God's going to provide a sacrifice and he did it in Jesus. Go to Exodus 12. Look at the blood of a lamb put over the doorposts of the homes so that they're saved from death. Pointing forward to the Lamb of God. His blood being shed so we could be saved from death. Go to Exodus 13, man. Look at the crossing of the Red Sea. A promise pointing forward that God was going to make a way when there is no way. He's going to keep doing that, and he did that through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There was no other way. There was only ever going to be one way. It's always been him. You can go to Exodus 17. You can look at Moses hitting the rock and getting water out of it. You can see that as a forward-looking promise that God is going to give us living water when there was no other water that was going to quench our thirst. He did that. He kept that promise. He walked in his integrity in Christ. You can go to Leviticus. You can look at all the details of the tabernacle and the purpose of the tabernacle, and you'll see It's pointing forward to God's plan to dwell with us in Christ. And ultimately to tabernacle in us, we already hit that. You can look at Leviticus and see every drop of blood from bulls and goats and sheep was pointing forward to the Lamb of God shedding his blood to conquer sin and death forever. Every single time they took that hyssop branch and they dipped it in the blood and it got spread on the altar, every single drop was a forward-looking promise to when blood was going to be shed from the final Lamb. The perfect lamb. What about numbers? You got anything in numbers? You better believe I do. You can go to numbers. Go to chapter 21 actually. When because of the sin and rebellion of the people, God sent fiery serpents among them. They were biting them and killing them. God told Moses, take a bronze serpent, hold it up on a pole, tell them to look at it and they'll be delivered. What? That's a weird story. That's- Exodus Sorry, it's Numbers 21. Go read it if you want to. What's that? That's a forward-looking promise telling us that even though our sin leads to death, like that serpent in the wilderness, Christ would be lifted up for our deliverance. There is there are wages to sin. There's consequences of sin. But the answer was always going to be deliverance through God. It wasn't going to be us figuring out how to get the poison out ourselves. It's always going to be him. Go to Deuteronomy. We see the command there to love the Lord, our God with our heart, soul, and strength. It's only through Christ we could ever even begin to understand what that means. This command all the way back in Deuteronomy points us forward to the promise of an embodied revelation and the clear definition of love in Jesus. God kept that promise. Jesus came. You can go to Joshua. You can see the children of Israel crossing over and coming up against Jericho. What happened there? it fell, a forward-looking promise that he would knock down every barrier standing between us and him. What about the book of Judges? That's real rough. Well, you can go to Judges and you can see how it points us in a promissory way to the patience, mercy, and compassion of God seen most clearly in Jesus, even when we're rebellious and foolish. What about the book of Ruth? Well, (laughs) come on. We've been partying in the book of Ruth for a month now. This book is dripping with the sweet honey of gospel promise. Go to 1 Samuel, you can see it points forward to Jesus when David, the little guy that nobody else would have picked, defeats and slays the giant that no one else could beat. Jesus came and solved the problem of sin and death that we never could, no one else could. And he wasn't the guy that the people at the time would have picked, come on. Go to 2 Kings, God humbles Naaman a pagan general who thought he was real important by healing him of leprosy, pointing forward to Jesus who would show us that hoping in ourselves is pride and that would provide the only remedy for that poison. And how could we miss the forward-looking promise of Jonah, spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, then being spit up on the beach and told to go preach mercy and compassion and repentance to the Ninevites, a bunch of Gentiles no less, how could we miss the forward-looking promise of the story of Jonah? And we already mentioned Isaiah and Daniel. And I'm telling you right now, I didn't come close to mentioning everything that we could from the Old Testament that is pointing forward in a promissory way to the coming of Christ. Were well, you sure you're supposed to read it that way? Almost all of those, you can go to the New Testament and find a New Testament writer that specifically says that's the way to see that. A, B, that's what Jesus did with those two dudes on the road. Let me tell you about everything you've been reading, everything you thought you knew about that is wrong. It's about me. It's a promise looking forward. And God kept his promise in Christ. And and, and because he did, because he can keep a promise that big, we know all the ones we're looking forward to his coming again, our full and final deliverance. God's a God of integrity. And when we walk in biblical integrity, we reflect that to the world. He's a promise-keeping God. We mentioned Isaiah and Daniel, and you might be like, yeah, I know you're saying you didn't mention any. Look, I didn't say anything about Jacob. I didn't say anything about Leah. I didn't say anything about Joseph. I didn't even mention, I didn't even touch Rahab's scarlet red cord hanging out the window, did I? And there's a bunch more. Come on now. You see, friends, biblical integrity, it isn't about being good all the time so that God will accept you or love you. Biblical integrity is living a life that consistently reflects the beautiful truth that God already has accepted you and loves you. That's what biblical integrity is. And this is why the whole of Scripture is either pointing you towards Jesus and his gospel, it's either doing that, or it's giving you the truth about Jesus and his gospel, or it's calling you to live in a manner worthy of Jesus and his gospel. It's the whole thing. And What does that mean? What does that, what does that bring us all the way down to? It brings us down to this hope. There's two different kinds of people that could be hearing me today. The first is someone who has not yet Tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Someone who has not yet come to the point where they've realized how trustworthy God really is. Somebody that maybe has lived their life believing what so many believe that good behavior is about trying to earn God's acceptance. My hope today is that you heard the opposite. My hope today is that you heard the truth that no one's going to come to God clean enough on their own. That His his invitation to you is to come now, just like you are. And that what he wants to give you is the strength and the help to then begin to even understand what it looks like to obey him. And you don't get it yet, I promise. Because I've been thinking about it a long time. I've been trying to walk it a long time and I still don't get it all. So for you, if that's you today, and you have yet to trust in Christ for salvation, my hope is that you will. And you begin to walk in the beauty of biblical integrity with his help. The second kind of person is someone that has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You get at least what I'm talking about when it comes to the gospel of grace. You've experienced that. My hope for you today is that you will ask God to empower you by his grace to live a life of consistency and integrity that reflects his glorious light into the world. I'm hoping you will pray that today, that you will desire that. And that all of us will walk in the joy that comes from it. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for this theme of biblical integrity. Thank you that we see it jumping off the page at us as we see the description of Ruth and Boaz. Lord, thank you that the depth of this, as deep as we went today, Lord, we didn't touch the bottom of the well. There's so much more that could be said in terms of application. There's, there's even more principally that could be drawn out. But Lord, I'm just I'm thanking you for the collision that we had today with your word. Thank you for the good work that your spirit is doing in us. Thank you. You're a God who prunes and deals with the children whom he loves. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that we have as we look in the face of biblical integrity and we see what a tall order it is, thank you that you always, you consistently remind us you don't ever ask us to do anything that you're not gonna empower us to do. You don't ever just send us off on our own and tell us to do it in our own strength. You're with us. That was your plan all along. I thank you for that. I thank you that you are a God of consistent, pure integrity. And that when we walk in that, we're reflecting the character and the goodness of our master. We ask for your help in this. We thank you that you delight in giving us this kind of help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies